0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Lekaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 313 with Tom Singer. Tom is coming back. He's got more great stuff, and he's talking about the paradox of potential. So you'll learn one. How to identify the unique things holding you back. Two, the three things that always help achieve better results. And three, how to bring back purpose when it's most needed. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep313. That's letters E-P and numbers 313. Now here's Tom's story. As the host of the popular Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast, Tom interviews business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who possess an extra dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. The information compiled from these compelling interviews is shared with his clients as he challenges people to be more engaged and enthusiastic in all their actions. He's authored 12 books on the power of business relationships, sales, networking, presentation skills, and entrepreneurship, and regularly speaks to corporate, law firm, and convention audiences. He sets the tone for better engagement industry events as the opening keynote speaker or the master of ceremonies and his conference catalyst program has become a meeting planners favorite in how it transforms the conference attendee experience. So thanks to Tom for sharing some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Tom. Tom, thanks so much for joining us here again on how to be awesome at your job. God, I'm so excited to be back. It's been like 3 years. Oh, yeah, time really flies and Thanks so much for saying yes. Back in episode seventeen, before I had much of a show, I just I had to pick people who seemed to like me instead of anybody. (laughs) Now people don't have to like you. No, (laughs) they resent me, but they grin and bear it for the publicity. Awesome. Well, so I want to hear a little bit. You did some stand-up comedy for the first time at the age of fifty-one. What's the story here?
1: Wow, you've done your homework on me. So uh, I made a pledge to myself when I turned fifty, almost two years ago, that I was going to have the most fun ever from 50 to 75 years old. I, I, I Not that I had a bad time before. I mean, I, I was in a fraternity in college. I, I had a really good time, and, and I've had a good time in between. But I just decided that I wasn't going to talk myself out of things. And when I was younger, when I was about your age, I was in my 20s, I wanted to uh, try my hand at, at just open mic night. I didn't want to go be a full-time comic But I always found a reason like I wasn't going to be good enough or what if I sucked or what if my friends saw me. And so I always found a way not to do it. I had a friend who was pushing me to try it and I just never did. And recently I had a situation where I was going to be in New York and a professional speaker friend of mine is also a professional comic. And he said, oh, when you're in New York, I'll take you to open mic night. And I said, oh, how cool. I'd love to see you work on new material. And the other friend who was with us started shaking his head going, that's not what he means. <laughs> he'll take you to open mic night, but he'll make you sign up and do a five-minute set. And I was like, oh, I, I can't do that. And he said, why? And all of my reasons were false. And he said, have you ever wanted to try it? And I said, yeah, I used to. When I was younger, I really wanted to. So he didn't really talk me into it, but he made the offer that he would help me. And so when I was in New York City, we signed up. I got, a five, I got my name drawn and, and I did a five-minute set. And what was fascinating was, is I wasn't the best one. There were maybe 17 comics that went, but I was probably in the top seven. And so I was like, huh. So I've now done it five more times.
0: No kidding. Oh, that's great. Well, so to put you on the spot, could you share one or two of your jokes that got the best response?
1: Well, yeah, so I'm turning 52 years old. You are putting me on the spot. So I'm, I'm turning 52 years old really soon. And I just realized that my dad, my dad was 52 years old when I was born. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was, I had sort of an older dad. In fact, growing up with an older dad, there were a couple of things. One was that uh, I, I thought things were normal. I thought you were supposed to go to restaurants for the discounted dinner at
0: 4.30. <laughs>
1: and I thought every time you got out of a chair, you were supposed to make a noise like, just what people did when they got out of the chair. And then I was the only kid on the block who who wasn't allowed to play on his own lawn. <laughs> <laughs> so but but seriously my dad was 52 when I was born and I realized I'm about to turn 52 so I went to my wife and I said, "Oh my gosh, honey, we could have another kid." And she said, "No. <laughs> no, no we can't for so many reasons." She said, "You can't keep track of your car keys. How are you going to be able to keep keep track of a toddler?" So that's just a little bit of what I did.
0: Well, that's good. Well, and kudos for having them to be, you know, kind of connected in that theme because sometimes I understand the comedians, they test a lot of material and they just push together all the stuff that works great with a little kind of segue. And that's sort of the way of the world. But call me, uh, I don't know what the word is, someone who likes themes and structure and organization. I appreciate multiple jokes within the same category.
1: Well, I only had to do five minutes, so the whole theme of the whole thing was just stories about my dad, about him dating when he was widowed and different stuff like that. So that was my my two cents. And like I said, I wasn't the funniest guy. Seinfeld is not worried about job security because I did (laughs) stand-up. But it definitely was a great experience. And I learned that it's probably one of the hardest things about standing up in front of an audience. It's way harder than being a professional speaker because the expectations of a stand-up comic, even a guy at open mic night, are way higher than some keynote speakers. So I've learned a lot
0: from doing it. That's true. Often they sort of expect the speakers to be boring. And and when you're just sort of provide a modicum of engagement and jokes and enthusiasm and thought provocation, it's like, all right. (laughs) Exactly. Well, so speaking of keynote speaking, you've got a newer program. The Paradox of Potential. I really like the blurb that was on your site. And I think that there's a whole lot of thoughts, concerns, questions when it comes to our potential and how to be awesome at your job. Listeners are into developing potential. So what's it all about?
1: Well, yeah, I would imagine if you're listening to a podcast called, you know, be awesome at your job that you definitely you know, have this interest in being awesome at your job. And yet when I talk to people, and I've interviewed like three or 400 people now through a survey, and then I've talked to about 10% of them on the phone and done personal interviews, most of the people who I've interviewed say that they're not doing everything they could do in their career. They could be, they could be achieving more in their jobs. And when I talk to, when I talk to managers, I say, even if my numbers are wrong, even if it's not 70 to 75%, what if it's just half your people could be having better performance and doing more and being more successful? Wouldn't you want to know about that, about how to get across that gap between potential and results? And so that's what, what I talk about is what's holding people back. And then what are some of the ways to get farther across the gap between potential and results? Cause here's the deal. Potential does not equal results. No matter how much we want it to, no matter how excited we get about having potential or our team having potential or a new hire being a high potential employee, it, it doesn't mean that they're going to achieve anything. And yet, everybody sort of wants to build a bridge. They want to build a bridge for their whole team between potential and results, put everybody on one bus and drive them across. The problem is, is not everybody has the same things holding them back Therefore, not one solution is going to help everybody. Mm -hmm. And the bigger thing is, is that as you move across that gap from potential to results, what happens is, is that your potential is going to shift because you're meeting new people, you're listening to a new podcast, you're reading a new book, you're having a new experience. So if you build a bridge and your potential shifts, you drive the bus across, everyone's going to fall into the ravine. So I tell people that you do not want to build your path across it in advance and then go across. Instead, you want to build a scaffolding. You want to build a modular thing so that you can go across at an angle, diagonal, up, down, sideways. And then when your potential shifts further out, you can just add
0: a new module. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I even want to start at the very beginning, which was just that you did so much research in crafting a keynote. I think that's awesome to start with. Other folks are like, hey, here's kind of an idea I think is good. (laughs) And you went deep into seeing what's a real problem folks are having and what's some insightful stuff I can bring to it. So kudos from the get go and developing your speaker potential by doing that.
1: I feel I'm one year into about a five year survey of people. I mean, my intent is to interview thousands of people and I'm in the process of trying to see if maybe I could get sort of like a, a real researcher, like a PhD level researcher to help me because uh, I, I haven't set the questions up right. I mean, I'm not I'm not a researcher. I'm not an academic. So uh, my my information I found is still somewhat anecdotal, but there's a lot of stuff going on here and people get really excited. When I go into a company and they have me come into their team, once we get through sort of the presentation point and we get it to that interactive piece where everybody gets to start talking about what holds them back or others on their team, sometimes nobody wants to talk about themselves, but hypothetically my friends held back because of XYZ, people get really into sharing the fears and the mistakes they've made along the way. And the team gets really excited about figuring out how can we support each other? So it's kind of
0: a fun job uh, to be able to do working with actual teams inside a company. Oh, that is fun. And so I want to dig into a number of these gaps that are popping up frequently and some of the prescriptions for remedying them. And it's funny, the first gap that I thought of, and so you'll tell me how prominent this is and if people fess up to it, is just, yeah, I could be doing better at my job, but that sounds like a lot of extra hours that I don't want to spend there because I want to spend more time with my family or doing other cool outside of work things. Is that one of the top gaps?
1: Yeah, one. I mean, and it's sometimes as simple as that, that, hey, this just isn't my priority. And you know what? That's okay. Sometimes people, it's not even that they don't want to. Sometimes people have a new baby or sometimes what one lady told me after hearing my speech, she came up almost in tears and she said, thank you, because she had an aunt who had no children and she was caring for her aunt in the advanced stages of Alzheimer's. And her boss was really supportive of it, but she felt that when she was at work, she was cheating her aunt. And when she was with her aunt, she was cheating work. And the reality of what I said is, look, sometimes it's work isn't your priority. Just be honest with yourself. It's okay that that is. I mean, and it, I gave a fictitious example about caring for somebody, but it, it hit home with this woman. And, you know, she wanted to put more time into work but she had another commitment so, so yeah sometimes there's either i just don't want to do it or sometimes i can't do it because i have this other commitment and and that's a legitimate reason and people can't beat themselves up for it you know we live in a society where we talk a lot about work 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 it's not always your priority and if it's not your priority you know that's okay but also don't have expectations if you're not putting all that work in that you're going to become
0: ceo right That's well said. And boy, that angst there associated with it, when I'm at work, I'm cheating my aunt. And when I'm with my aunt, I'm cheating my work. I think that really connects and resonates with lots of people with their outside work obligations and concerns. And so any pro tips on just sort of coming to peace with that so that I think in a way, just the sheer anxiety is going to diminish your ability to realize your potential. So any pro tips on how to take that breath and to become okay with that.
1: Well, one of the things I talk about is I I think we've been done a disservice by all these speakers and trainers who've come in and tried to teach work-life balance because I actually don't believe you're ever in balance. If, If you're at home with your kids, you're not at work. So work is out of balance. If you're at work, you're not home caring for your kids. So that's out of balance. So we focus on wanting everything to be in perfect balance but nothing in the universe is in perfect balance. I mean, things are always going, you know, something's always going on that's throwing something out of balance. So you just have to get okay with that fact that, you know, just do the best you can with what you've got in front of you. A friend of mine wrote a book called Good Enough Now. Her name's Jessica Pettit. And one yeah. of the things she talks about, you, you know, Jessica, one of the things she talks about is everybody is waiting for perfection before they're gonna go do the things they have to do but really you're you're good enough now just go do what you have to do and and that's sort of what I what I try to teach people but but here's the thing no matter what you look at in this paradox of potential it all comes down to three things that helps you i mean there's a lot of things that are holding people back a lot of different fears uh, a lot of things where people feel they don't have the right degree or they don't have the right training or they don't have the support of their spouse or their boss or their company is, you know, uh, out of sync for a lot of reasons. There's, I mean, the list is really, really long of what the problems are. But the answers all fall into three buckets. And those buckets are your plan, your purpose, and people. So your, your plan is really just goal setting. And I've n- never understood why, and I know you teach goal setting in some of the seminars that you do. I've never understood why people go, I don't believe in goal setting. I hear this all the time because it's part of what I teach. People say, oh, well, I don't believe in goal setting. You know, I had one person tell me, setting goals just sets you up to feel bad when you don't reach them. And I'm like, uh, no, because if you strive for something and you come close, don't feel bad about the 10% you missed. Look at the 90% of the way, the way you came. Uh, I have a daughter who is a, is a high achiever and she always sets her goals really high. And then when she lands at something that other people just think is excellent that might have been shy of that goal, she's thrilled that she landed at the excellent level that she is. And it's a really good example. I mean, she's always pushing herself and, and setting expectations. And I'm always worried that, oh, she's gonna be disappointed. And then she's always thrilled because she's still coming out in the top 90 percentile. And she said if she had just shot for the 90 percentile, she might have ended up in the 80 percentile. So I've never understood why people think, oh, I'm going to feel bad if I don't hit my goal. I mean, if my goal for sales and I'm just making this up is, is $500,000 and I sell 400, that's better than selling three. Mm-hmm. So if I had no goal, I have no idea where I would have landed. Plus I can't benchmark myself against my own performance if I don't have some sort of goal. So the, the first thing is, is having that plan and knowing what success looks like and then taking the actions to get there. The second bucket is purpose. And that just goes back to what Simon Sinek has taught for years of knowing your why. You know, everybody on your team at work has different reasons that they have a job. Some people want to pay their mortgage and have a fancy house and things like that. Other people want to feel part of a team. Other people, uh, you know, want to uh, contribute to the greater good. It's, each person has to to come to terms with why they do the work that they do. And in some cases, it's, you know, I, I, I have to pay the bills. Well, okay, as long as you understand what that is. And it's really coming to terms as an individual about what your purpose is. And then the third bucket is people. And that is having the right mentors, being part of the right team, knowing who to turn to, having support at home. Uh, being a mentor is one of the best things that you can do if you really wanna grow. So it's it's all interactions that you have with people. It's your network, it's your brand, it's how you engage and so those are the three sort of ways across, no matter what's holding you back, you can always find the answer in, in your plans, your purpose, and your people.
0: Okay, well, thank you. And that's nice to have three things and to be alliterative along the way. <laughs> really cool. So then I'd be curious, when it comes to executing on each of these, what are some of the, I guess, the best practices versus the worst practices? I guess in some ways with a plan, just like having no plan is not optimal as you're laying out here. But what are some other pointers there?
1: Well, as I said earlier, potential does not equal results. You have to take action. So, you know, I've seen people make plans and make lists and do all these things. But if you're not checking things off, if you're not actually moving towards the goal, then nothing's going to happen. So you really have to be somebody who tries to do something. And I'm a big believer that momentum builds stuff. So a lot of people overthink they don't take action because they're trying to like, weigh all 10 options against each other. Yet if you look at really successful entrepreneurs, they know that they have to start their business. The really smart in the tech game, Silicon Valley, you know, the term is pivot. Start your business, start building, launch something, and then see where it's working and where it's not, and pivot. There's so many companies that started to be one thing and pivoted to something else. I mean, Twitter's a perfect example. You know, it wasn't started to be what it became, but they pivoted it and all of a sudden it, it went you know, crazy 10 years ago. So that you just need to be able to start doing something because if you have momentum, it's easier to change course than to start from an absolute dead stop. And too many people don't take action until they know that the action they take is going to be perfect. I, I worked for a person one time, I was in a marketing department and we were talking about something we were going to do in marketing and it wasn't a big spend. I mean, it wasn't, $50,000, it was like $6,000, 5000 something like that. And she said, what's the guaranteed ROI?
0: <laughs>
1: you're not gonna, from marketing, from having an event and doing sponsorship and things like that, we're, you're not gonna have a, a total guarantee. Here's, here's what we assume will happen and here's what we're hoping for, but I can't give you a perfect guarantee that we're gonna you know, have 100 people come to our booth and we're gonna meet 10 people and we're gonna convert three of them. I go, I can't promise you that. I go, sometimes you, know, you have to throw a little spaghetti against the wall. And she looked at me and said, in my company, we throw no spaghetti against, the- no spaghetti hits the floor. And I'm like, well, then, you know, you you can do stuff, but you're never gonna be able to take the type of, of actions that are gonna lead to the big success. Because when you look at people as individuals in their job or companies, who have big success, there's there's some risk, there's some some trial and error that goes into being awesome at your job. And if you're not willing to try take that trial and error and take some actions without the guarantee, then you're just gonna be mediocre at your job and that's not what your podcast is about.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, that's dead on. And yeah, marketing in particular, that's hard for anyone, <laughs> for anyone to guarantee. And you really don't know until you start, for sure. And so I think that is compelling, in the sense that if folks do something or don't do something because they're so terrified of the potential for failure, then you're pretty limited to a very narrow space of actions you might take.
1: Yeah, and therefore, you know, you might succeed. But I, you know, I've been doing this in my career for nine years is I I throw some Hail Mary passes and I, you know, sometimes I, they get, you know, intercepted and that's just the way it goes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the plan side of things. And how about purpose? Well, it's, we all are motivated for different reasons. And sometimes we forget why we get out of bed. I mean, what are we trying to accomplish? What is it that we want for our family? What's our purpose of what we do? You you have a new child. When you have a kid, that changes your purpose. You may have noticed some things in the past five or six months have changed in the way you look at the world. Right. And that is because you know you're now responsible for somebody else. So I have I have two kids of my own, and then I mentor two young gentlemen who are both in their late twenties. Who they call me their fake dad. They've been around about four years. I don't think they're ever going away. Uh, and you know my kids are like, uh, what's the deal there? You know my one daughter, <laughs> are they in the will? And I said, no, they're they're not real kids. They're not in the will. And she said, okay, then then I support your friendship with them as long as, <laughs> as long as they're not taking my inheritance. No, she didn't say. But uh, but the thing is, is that you know I tell them all the time because they're young and they're both single. I tell them all the time I have a different outlook in the world because there's other humans I'm responsible for. I have a wife and I have two kids, and I said when you're responsible for three other people, that changes the purpose of of why you do things and the decisions that you make. You know, in your career, in your personal life, what you do on Friday night, etc. And so I think that that's something we have to realize is that the our purpose you know, and our plans and our people. They're going to change from time to time. And that's okay. But you have to understand why am I doing what I'm doing? So, you know, one of my main motivations of of why I pursue the business I pursue is I I want to be that person who's educating people. Like I could go, you know, be a teacher or a professor or a newscaster or, you know, I like being in that role where I'm sharing information with people and because i like being in that role part of my purpose is is i want to be the best i can at that another one of my purposes is is money i'm not you know i'm i'm not ashamed of it i want to make i want to have nice things uh, i don't have to make a million dollars a year so many people focus on giant numbers but i have to have decent numbers cuz there's certain things i've chosen to do plus i have kids who one goes to a very expensive college one's in high school with her eyes uh, set on very expensive colleges, and and the the problem is when you have kids who are straight A students in high school, they get accepted to those colleges. So right. then you have to figure out how do we pay for them. And the problem is, is that unless you're making, you know, if you make a million dollars a year, it doesn't matter. Uh, and if you make a, a smaller amount, there's often scholarship need based scholarships. But if but if you're in the middle, you know, you've got to pay for them. And so, you know, I'm motivated to make sure that I can make those. Tuition payments on top of our mortgage payments and still be able to, as a family, take some trips and, you know, have clothes and things like that, eat nice meals. So that's part of that purpose piece is I have to know why I'm doing it because it makes me get out of bed in the morning.
0: Very good. And so I think it's often quite common to sort of forget or lose sight of the purpose when you're in the urgent stuff. And so, any thoughts on how to bring it back fresh in mind?
1: Well, you know, out of sight is always out of mind. So, you know, I encourage people to to write their goals down. Going back to the plan, you know, the, the old saying is a goal not written down is a wish. So, you know, you've got to write down your goals. Part of that is you've got to write down your purpose. And this is more than like your company's mission statement that hangs in the lobby. This is individual to the person. Everyone on the team needs to be clear about why do they work there and you know, what do they wanna contribute? And you gotta review it because otherwise when things get busy and when things get bad and it always gets bad, I mean, none of us have a perfect career, whether, whether there's problems with the economy, problems with bosses or coworkers, or just you know, just caught up in the moment, you know, there's some problem with a client, it's just bad. It's easy to forget why you get out of bed in the morning. So write it down and have it in front of you. hmm beautiful, thank you. And how about on the people side? Well, so I've been, you know, I started my speaking career teaching people how to network better, how to connect with people in a gadget crazy world uh, is something that I've talked about for 10 years. I started my speaking career just as the iPhone and the smartphone started showing up in everybody's hands and everybody thought, oh, it's gonna be so much easier to connect. And yet I ask everybody who is over 35 years old, do you feel, you know, now that you have more friends? And I mean friends like who are gonna invite you to Thanksgiving do you have more friends than you had a decade ago? And I rarely, there's sometimes people, but I rarely have a hand go up in the audience. And then I flip it around to business and I say, how many people feel that you have more business? Like like it's so much easier for you to sell, because I speak to a lot of sales teams, than it was 10 years ago. Now if somebody's 28, they don't remember life without a smartphone. But if they're 38, they sure do. And rarely, again, does a hand go up. Every now and then there's somebody who they do a real good job at internet marketing and use of social and stuff like that. But in most cases, people shake their heads. And I say, okay, so we can have a room of several hundred people. Nobody or very few people raise their hands. I'm like, but let's think back to the last 10 years. Every conference that you went to, not so much now, but certainly three years ago to 10 years ago, had entire tracks on social media and mobile and digital. And yet, nobody feels that they're better connected. And in fact, there was an article in the Harvard Business Review last fall, written by the former uh, Surgeon General of the United States, who under Obama, and it was called "It was I don't know what the title of the article was, but it was about the epidemic of loneliness that's going on." And there's a lot of articles written about how the millennials feel very lonely, like they don't feel they have a lot of friends. Uh, one of these guys I mentor sent me kind of a funny. I don't know if it's called a meme or whatever, but because I'm old, but he sent me a thing in, at, at Easter time and it said, the real miracle is how did Jesus make it to his 30s and have 12 friends?
0: <laughs>
1: so, the, you know, they talk a lot about the younger people not feeling like they have close friendships, but this article in Harvard Business Review said it's not just the millennials, it's, it's all the generations. People feel that they're invisible, people feel lonely more so than at any time in history. And yet, the last decade we've put all these connection tools into place so one of the things I talk about is we have to step back we have to see people we have to get back the, the the saying in India when you greet somebody is Namaste and if you translate that and there's a lot of ways I've heard it translated but the simplest one is I see you or I see your soul or my soul sees your soul well that's what we have to get back to because people are feeling like they don't see them so I talk about this at conferences. And I'll have, and I tell people, it's not just the introverts. Sometimes people think, oh, well, this is a conference of all salespeople. Everyone's an extrovert. You know, that doesn't apply. Even the extroverts who are life of the party, a lot of them feel invisible. And I'll have people come up to me and nod their head and go, that, that's me. I'm right in the middle of the crowd. I can hold my own, but I don't feel anybody knows who I am or knows what I care about. So we're living in this age, and for 10 years, I've been teaching it about how do we connect with people in this gadget-crazy digital world? And a lot of it comes down to stopping and seeing people and having real conversations. And I mean, how often have you been in a restaurant and you look over and there's a whole family, a mom, a dad, and three kids, and everyone's on their phone at the table? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it happens all the time. Or, or you're in a business meeting sitting around the conference table and a couple of the partners in the firm or even, you know, lower level people in the firm are, are doing what I call sort of the iPhone prayer. You know, it looks like they have their head down and they're, they're you know, <laughs> praying. But in reality, they're just tapping away on their screen down in their lap or, or they're looking at their screen kind of by their hip. I call it the one hip sneak. <laughs> they're you know thinking nobody will do this. They're looking at their phone. So I think we have to get to where we put that stuff down from time to time. I love my phone. It's always in my hand. It's in my hand right now while I'm talking to you, but I'm not looking at it. I'm just still holding it. It's on my lap.
0: <laughs> just a little soothing, like a comfort blanket. <laughs>
1: (laughs) And I'm, you know, I'm going to be 52 right around the corner. So it's not just the millennials who are that way. But I think the point that I'm trying to make here, and I'm going around the long way, is we have to realize that the connections to people are so important. I mean, the old saying, people do business with people they know, they like, and they trust. That's not a cliche. That's true. The difference is, it's harder to get to know people. I mean, to really get to know them. A like, a link, a share, and a follow is not a friendship. Mm Mm-hmm we have to go back to getting to know people. But it used to be, it was a process to get to know them. You had to go to a few networking events, maybe you had lunch, maybe you played golf, maybe you were, you know went to a few social events with them. And then you sort of got to know them and then like and trust came along or it didn't. But nowadays, everybody thinks they know everybody. They listen to the show. I bet there's people listening right now who are like, oh, I know Pete. Well, no, they know Pete based on the one side of Pete as the podcast host. So, you know, they they don't know how you are one-on-one, they don't know your soul, per se. And so people think, oh, I, I, I'm connected to them on Twitter, or I listen to their podcast, I know them. So no, K-N-O-W, has kind of gotten misinterpreted to know of them or know about them. And so like and trust are harder to get to. And so I encourage people, if you go back to sort of the old school ways of face-to-face spending time with people with no digital uh, interaction in the moment while you're there, you're going to get to like and trust a lot faster. And it's, I think it's more important than ever. And I talk a lot about this whole idea of seeing people. I mean, when's the last time you went into Starbucks, you know, and if people tell me this morning, I go, can you tell me what color eyes the barista had? That's good. No. (laughs) You know, I try to, even if, you know, I'm going to have a two second interaction with them. I try to just register, look them right in the eye and I think blue eyes and I smile and they smile back. They don't know why. They just know that
0: I just saw something about them. That's awesome, thank you. So we hit the plan, the purpose, the people. You've also got some perspectives when it comes to limiting beliefs and how those can be problematic for realizing potential.
1: Well, I mean, let's go back to where we were talking about me doing stand-up comedy. You know, when I was 25 years old, my my wife and I used to like to go to comedy clubs. We had another couple we did a lot of things with, and he and I used to drink a lot of beer together, and we would talk about it. And he goes, "You're kind of funny. You know, you could do this." But I had a ton of limiting beliefs. I I. I overthought the entire process. And now that I've done this a few times I'm like, well that was stupid. You know, so what if I went and I sucked? I still would have done it. And so this whole concept of I'm going to make 50 to 75 the best years of my life is all based around the fact that I'm not going to have limiting beliefs. So I've done other stuff besides the stand up. I I jumped off the stratosphere in their sky jump in Las Vegas. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the 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 sky tower like the, you know, like Seattle or whatever they have one at the Stratosphere Hotel and they have I I guess it's called a ride or an attraction, where you go out on a platform and leap off the 108th floor in a harness. It's not a bungee, it's like a tension thing, and you land on the ground without any impact because just before you get to the ground, the tension between the three wires gets strong enough where you just kind of go, bling, and you land. But I'll tell you, it's really scary. If you watch the video, the guy counts you down, you go through a class, they tell you how to do it, it's supposed to be a perfect swan dive, and the guy goes, one, two, three, jump! And I just stood there and on the video, it's funny because I'm just like holding on to the rail and I look over my shoulder, I go, say it again. <laughs> and he goes, one, two, three, jump. And instead of swan diving, I just sort of half jump off. I go, Meh. <laughs> however, I agreed to do that. I mean, I didn't agree. It was my own idea. Nobody talked me into it, but I, I decided to do that because I looked it up online. You know what? Nobody's ever died. The thing's been there well over a decade. And I figured I'm not gonna be the first. And so why overthink it? And I have friends who've watched the video who are like, nope, 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 not gonna do it. Uh, the other thing is I'm kind of a city guy, like all my vacations throughout my whole life have been like New York and Chicago and Paris and Rome, uh, San Francisco. And this last couple of years, I have a daughter who's very outdoorsy. She wanted to hike the Grand Canyon. So we went for three days to the Grand Canyon and we stayed in a hotel, but we went hiking around and down the Grand Canyon. Uh, when my kids I do a thing you should you have a young child my wife and I do a thing I'm going to pass on to you when the kids turn 13 they get to plan a 3-night trip anywhere in the country with their mom now we take care of the airfare and the hotel to make sure they don't overspend but they plan all the activities and it's anywhere they want to go when they're 16 they get to do it with dad Because otherwise, they go on all these family vacations, but it's mom, dad, their sibling, and all this. So, this is the one on one time for three days with a parent, and they look forward to it. I mean, people are like, Your 16 year old wants to go away. She'd spent years planning this trip, and her answer was Yosemite. And I said, Boston? Is that what you said? (laughs) And she said, No, Yosemite. And we stayed in these tent cabin like structures and the bathroom was like a quarter mile down the path, and we had to eat in like a mess hall, but it's what she wanted to do, and, and so part of my 50 to 75 is the best years of my life. We hiked 10 miles a day, every day, for the three days, three and a half days we were in Yosemite, and we had an awesome time. Uh, I did a TEDx talk with three weeks notice, because I think someone had canceled, and they, they sort of gave me a last minute addition, but before I would have overthought it, I would have had limiting beliefs saying, oh, a TED Talk's a big deal. That video is going to end up online. Three weeks isn't enough time to prepare. It's a topic I've never really spoken on before. And instead, I just said, yeah, I can do that. And so it's, it's all of these types of things combined that in the past, my limiting beliefs would have taken over. And so, so the answer is, is don't overthink, just do more.
0: All right. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Tom, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things.
1: Uh, no, but you know, I was doing a little research on you and you're the Uh only person I know who has a custom-made Superman suit, and so uh, oh. I just am not sure all of your listeners know that, but uh, I watched your video, I watched your speaking video, and there's a picture of you in like a form-fitting, thank God, you know, you haven't, you know, you're not old enough to have gotten that, <laughs> but uh, you've got a custom-made <laughs> Superman suit, which uh, you said was for Halloween, but I'm a little curious if, you know, your wife has the matching Wonder Woman outfit.
0: But. <laughs> you know, she does not, uh, thank you for asking publicly. <laughs> And uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. The backstory is since we're going here for Halloween, I always wonder, you know, oh man, what should I be? And I I thought, you know what? I really just want to be Superman because that's what I always wanted to be as a kid. So I would just like the ultimate Superman costume, you know, Christopher Reeve style is my preference. And then school, absolutely. And it was interesting because I got dumped numerous years ago. And I was kind of sad. And my mom had remembered the conversations we had about, I said, you know what, I'd like to be Superman, but you could spend 300 bucks for an adult Superman costume. and It doesn't even include the red boots. Isn't that absurd? And so she sent me unannounced a pair of red Superman boots. In your Yes, exactly. It was just like, as soon as I beheld them, I knew immediately what I had to do was to get the Well, it turned out I saved about half of that because I found someone on eBay who made Superman costumes or other hero costumes to your precise dimensions. So it was not just a medium, small or large. It was exactly my size. And it is my favorite thing to wear. And I do only wear it on Halloween.
1: (laughs) All right. We'll go with that.
0: Well, so thank you for bringing that up. And so now people probably feel like they know me all the more, Hmm? but it's an illusion.
1: Say, I know, I know (laughs)
0: Pete.
1: But you really don't know Pete. You just know about the Superman costume.
0: (laughs) That's all you need to know. (laughs)
1: But all the women listeners are going to go
0: look for the picture. (laughs) I declare. (laughs) Well, let's hear uh, a favorite quote from you, something you find inspiring.
1: So, you know, I'm worried this might have been the quote I used three years ago. I meant to go listen to that episode to make sure I didn't use the same quote, but my, my favorite quote actually comes from my dad, and I recently used it without giving attribution to my dad. I made it sound like it was my quote, and my 21-year-old daughter like called me out on it, like she saw it online where I had said this, and it had my name next to it, and she said, that's not your quote, that's your dad's quote. And I said, yeah, but he's been dead for four years, and so who else did he leave the quote to? He left it to me, I'm sure. So I told her when I was dead four years, she could take it. But it's really a quote from my dad. And that is, be slow to anger and fast to forgive.
0: Beautiful, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research?
1: I gotta say, this stuff I'm doing with uh, people's potential and, and you know how they feel about their own success in their careers. And I was surprised how many people don't think they're living up to their potential. So I've, I found that to be quite interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And how about a favorite book? Always go back to The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It was a life changer for me when I was 25. And a favorite tool,
0: something that helps you be awesome at your job? My iPhone. Mm-hmm. And I thought you were going to say handwritten thank you notes, which you sent uh-huh. one to me, which is very nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably my iPhone, but I still think <laughs> it. And how about a favorite habit? God, you know, everybody asks about like what do you do in the mornings? I, I have bad habits. I, I don't have I don't have really good habits, but I will say the best thing, and this is part of the, the the age fifty life change, is I used to weigh thirty-five pounds more than I do now. And I gave up sugar and wheat for the most part. I, I eat limited amounts of processed sugar and wheat. And then I started running. So I think health habits are the one that I, I didn't know about till two years ago, but the ones I'm most impressed with because I feel better than I felt in well over a decade. And I wasn't in bad shape. I wasn't unhealthy. I'm six foot three, so 30 pounds, you know, it's not like you'd go, wow, fatty. But uh, having lost that 30 plus pounds and and eating a much healthier diet really has been great a great habit for me.
0: And I'd love to hear when it comes to giving up the sugar and wheat, you know, how would you describe the difference in sort of your mental clarity or performance?
1: So the first three weeks, I was an ass, if I can say that on your show. I was I was grumpy. I was horrible. It was not good. And then the clarity sort of came in and stuff somewhere around a month or two. And I never knew I was unclear. I didn't know I was foggy. It's not like I was having problems, but it was like, wow. I mean, it was just a huge difference. And coupling that with the, you know, a guy who was never a runner, I'd never run a mile in my life. And I started training for a half marathon. And after I completed that, you know, after you finish a half marathon, if you're not a runner and you've never been a runner, all your runner friends start saying, now that you've done a half, you're going to want to do a whole. They're lying. I don't want to run that. I'm going to run a half ever again. But I am still running three to five miles about three days a week, and uh, the the combination of eating a cleaner, healthier diet uh, with the running just makes me feel. I mean, I feel younger.
0: Mm-hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share in your presentations that really seems to connect and resonate with the audiences? Well, I should have probably prepared for that one. Ah, uh, no, nothing I share connects. <laughs> the,
1: I'm sure. No, you know, I think so. Lately, it has really been around this whole issue of seeing people. I actually have a slide and it says hashtag S-E-E people, see people. And it's just a picture of a close up of someone's eye looking out into the distance. And I talk about how people don't feel anyone sees them. And I, I'm i surprised and uh, saddened, maybe, how many people come up and say, I, I feel invisible. I feel that people don't see me in my family, at work, in this audience. Uh so this whole idea of, of putting your phone down and taking a little bit of time to just talk to people and see them as humans, you know, they don't have to be your best friend. Just see them and cho- when you're with people, choose people uh, probably is the thing that resonates the most.
0: Okay, and if folks want to learn more and get in touch, where do you put them?
1: TomSinger.com, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Not Thomsinger.com. It's not Thom, no, it is Tom. Like, so here's the deal. <laughs> How many Thomases do you know? Everybody is T-H-O-M-A-S. When they shorten it to Tom, my question is, why did they take out the H? I just get rid of the ass? Oh.
0: <laughs> Clever. Maybe stand-up's not my thing. <laughs> and do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah,
1: listen to podcasts like this one. I think I think the podcast, you know, uh, the last five years, they've really exploded. Uh, and I think I, I mean, I I do a podcast, listen to mine, but, uh, I think the real big thing is, is I learned so much from listening to shows like yours and, and so many others that I think when you're out for your run, when you're on the bike, when you're, uh, going for a walk, when you're in the car, whatever it is you're doing where you can put earbuds in and, and just have like a human university just broadcast into your head. There's no way you're not going to be better for it. It's, it's like getting a master's degree. If you listen to the right people, you're going to get all these ideas, these theories, these nuggets, these concepts. Some of them are going to stick. And so I think that, you know, listen to Pete's show, listen to my show, listen to any one of the thousands of other shows that resonate with you. You cannot lose if you're listening to the right stuff. Beautiful.
0: Well, Tom, not Thom, this has been a lot of fun yet again. Please keep doing the great stuff you're doing and keep on rocking out.
1: Hey, this was great. And I I don't know why we didn't have you on my show three years ago, but we're going to get that scheduled before we hang up today.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Big thanks for Tom's wisdom and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. I like Tom's challenge there about being willing to take some actions without the guarantee because many things don't have the guarantee and some of those also have the greatest payoff, you know, more risk, more rewards at times. So I encourage you, if you're thinking about doing something like, oh, I don't know if it's going to work out. Well, you know, test it. Check it out. Do a little test and first step is see how it goes and learn and improve and iterate and get to a great place there. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's also at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F313. If you have not already, I hope you push the subscribe button. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Laura Vanderkam, and she is talking about how is it that some people seem to have all the time in the world? They perceive time as vast and others are busy and going crazy and feel like they're super stressed to the max. What's the difference? How could you be more like the former, less like the latter? Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.